Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of MD Queer and Teach the Teachers Collaboration, our transgender and gender diverse health series. I'm Rose from Teach the Teacher and I use the pronouns she, her. I'm joined by Bede from MD Queer and he uses the pronouns he, him. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by our very special guest, Jake, a transgender man. But before we begin, I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. So like usual, before we dig too deep into the episode, we kind of like to do a little recap on what the general theme of the episode of today is. So today's episode is discussing um, the real lived experience of an Australian transgender man, Jake, discussing the particular challenges that many transgender men face and an effort to understand the needs of irrelevant transgender patients. Um, so before we begin as as well, we'd just like to do a content slash trigger warning. So some of the discussion of transphobia and mistreatment within the healthcare setting will occur, as well as there'll be some brief mentions of suicide and mental health struggles, as well as gender dysphoria and the consequences of it not being alleviated. Thanks so much for that, B. So now I'm so excited to introduce Jake, our special guest today. So Jake is a corporate graphic designer who also works with not-for-profit organisations like Trans Health Research, which is headed by our fellow podcast guest, Dr Ada Chung. Jake also works in the aviation sector as well as the corporate business sector. He balances his bread and butter work with community commissions. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jake. No worries. It's, um, it's wonderful. <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of background uh, for me. Uh, just in terms of my transgender journey, which is not all of my life, but it is, I guess, the relevant part of it. Uh, I always knew I was different, but it's very hard to identify something that you don't know exists. So I didn't have a word to put to it when I was young. Um, I was happiest while wearing male clothes. And when I had short hair, I experienced something called gender euphoria when I wore male clothes. I borrowed closed for my brother and when I cut my hair short. Um, despite all of these indicators and despite, um, you know, dreaming about having a flat chest and wondering about all these things, I kind of just assumed that all girls felt that way. I kind of just assumed that that was normal. Um, and then I moved out of that rural area where I had grown up and I moved to the city and suddenly everything was colourful and diverse and different and interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I started to be exposed to the kinds of communities which would help me to figure myself out. So I started actively questioning my gender identity at 18 years of age. Um, I came out as transgender within a few years after some extensive therapy and I'm soul searching. I think I lasted about two years uh, uh, when I, yeah, I, I started questioning my gender identity at 18 and then I, I thought, let's deal with this but i continue to live as a female because i wanted to i wanted to convince myself i i was a bit it was in denial basically yeah. i wanted to try and live that way uh but i couldn't um it was literally killing me um so mm -hmm. i i was lucky enough to transition very quickly um and to affirm my true gender identity in three years i think because i'm yeah. 23 now yeah um so i was very fortunate uh in that case. So my experiences of gender dysphoria started at a very young age. And um, 
gender dysphoria is caused by the misalignment between your brain and your body or some people the way that they phrase it is that you know their soul in their body or their mind in their body everyone has different ways of looking at it but um my gender dysphoria was constant and it's it's almost difficult to explain because some people don't understand um how much it actually colors everything about you Mm. my my whole vantage point on life was was wrong so I, I didn't, I didn't feel like a girl, but I just, I was, I was told that I was, so I called myself one. Yeah. Um, and I was constantly looking to the girls around me to try and understand how I should be. I didn't really have a sense of self. I didn't have, I didn't have interests really. I didn't have dislikes. I just had this role that I was playing. And yeah. It's very, very difficult to describe what's that, uh, what that's like to someone who's actually never experienced it. Um, I, I remember the day that I finally realized I could no longer live as a female because it was extremely, extremely traumatic. I had been dressing masculinely for, I think, about a year at that point, mm. and I had been flattening my chest with a binder and trying to pass as a boy without... I, I hadn't actually told my friends I was trans. I think they were figuring it out. But in my mind, I was on this mission to pass as male, but I hadn't actually taken the step to tell anyone yet. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't my friend's fault that they did this because they didn't actually know, but I was having lunch with two friends and um, one of them referred to me as she in conversation. And again, not their fault. They didn't actually mm. know because I hadn't told them, but yeah. uh, I actually disassociated I couldn't speak. I couldn't make eye contact with either of them. I couldn't move my body. I felt this hot flush of panic come over me. And that was how I knew, like in that moment, I knew that the gulf between how I saw myself and how the world saw me had to be addressed. And I knew that I I couldn't keep doing this. I knew it wasn't a matter of fashion for me, Mm. you know? Um, And it's, that is what gender dysphoria feels like. So it's, um, it's all encompassing and it's in, intense for a lot of us and it is extremely painful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of people, it can just be a matter of fashion. You know, there are many women who like to dress masculinely and I encourage that among um, cisgender men and women. I encourage them to be gender not conforming if they like it, to not necessarily label it. But I think this happens to a lot of us as we realise that it actually goes beyond fashion preferences. And it's something deeper and it's, it's something that needs to be addressed in a more serious way. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's me. Wow. Um, I can go back to the basics though, which might be helpful for some, some yeah. listeners. And you, you, you two feel free to jump in if you have any questions at any yeah. point, because no, I think, I think you've explained things already really mm-hmm. well. Um, to someone who has never experienced gender dysphoria and who hopes never to experience that kind of, because it seems really tough and traumatic. And um, I think it's hard for most people to understand, like you said, how deeply um, Mm -hmm. your experience um, will factor into every part of your life. Um, So Bid, how about you, any comments so far? Um, I've got one question, but before we go into that, I just wanted to know, like, bringing, talking about this stuff can be really painful. Yeah. Mm. Like, you can Uh, relive it. So, if ever we need to take a break, like... 
Oh yeah, no, I'm. Thank you, but I'm. I'm fine. Uh, these sorts of experiences were very raw at the time, and I spent. Uh, I'm going to say about two years in a state of just total distress and dysfunction, but and I I had this uh, on the on the script to talk about later, but it's coming up now. So I'm <laughs> no, bring it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I I got. I mean, I've, I'm at a point in my life where. Um, and I, I didn't actually view it this way until a friend of mine phrased it this way, but transitioning is now something I have done and less something that I'm actively doing. There are still parts of my transition that are incomplete and there are still things that I do want to change. But I, um, it, when I started out my transition, I felt that I was, I was in a weird in between place because I'm like, I feel male and I feel masculine, but the world doesn't see me that way. So I still felt in some way, like I wanted to be male, but I wasn't there yet. Now I'm kind of there. Cause you know, I, I have facial hair. I have a deep voice. I have a flat chest. I have all these things. Mm. And although my transition isn't complete, I'm not so at the beginning that talking about this stuff is going to hurt. Cause it happened yesterday. Yeah. You know? So there's my tangent. There you go. <laughs> um, so one of the questions I was curious about, because mm. um, I'm also from a small town, and you said you didn't even have, like, you weren't even aware of, like, what transgender was. Um, no, uh, no, I wasn't aware of it at all. I, it's, it's funny, though. I did something that I think a lot of us do is that we latch onto any example of gender nonconformity that we can find, even if it's not necessarily a transgender experience. I was, at the time, I was very interested in subversive fashions. I was very, I was, I related a lot to, to girls who had, you know, shaved heads and performed their girlhood differently because I wanted to, I, I thought that was the only option available to me was to be a different kind of girl. Um, but, you know, I was also obsessed with um, Andre Pajik, who is an Australian um, supermodel who at the time was living as a man, but of course has now transitioned into a woman. And when I was in high school, I was obsessed with her. I thought she was beautiful and remarkable. And I thought it was so cool that someone who was assigned male at birth was looking so feminine and so beautiful. And in her, I saw the inverse of what I wanted. And I, even at that time, she wasn't out as transgender, but I saw a kindred spirit in her and I, I latched onto that really hard. And I, th I think a lot of us do that, you know, yeah, even if there are films with cross-dressing characters, um, you know, um, uh, female uh, actresses that dress male for a role and stuff like that. It's not synonymous with being trans, but when you have nothing, mm -hmm. you, you will latch onto what little you can find, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Mm. Um, so I do want to go back to, mm. I do want to go back, uh, just, I guess some of the basics now that I've rambled yeah. for a little bit. No, no. Um, because I think, I think a lot of people struggle to understand how being transgender is different to having a sexual orientation. So gender and sexuality are completely separate. So, uh, I, and I, this is a say that is, kind of short and simple, but it, it gets the point. But sexuality is who you go to bed with, whereas sexual, where, you know what, let's start that again. <laughs> yeah. Sexuality is who you go to bed with. Gender is who you go to bed as. So mm -hmm. 
I was not motivated to dress masculinely and transition to male because of who I am attracted to. That was irrelevant for me. I've always been attracted to men and I've been persistently and just, it, it's always been men for me. Yeah. Um, now that I'm comfortably male and that I've affirmed my identity both medically and socially, I have been accepted as a gay man and that's who I am now. Um, I think part of the reason people get confused is because it's the LGBT plus community and the L and the G and the B are about sexuality, but the T is about gender identity and people kind of, um, people kind of get that confused. Yeah. I think. Um, and you know, uh, I, and part of the reason that there is sort of that mix is because um, we are social creatures and we do have communities around sexuality that have non, I guess, non-normative gender presentations. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of butch lesbian women that are fully women, but dress very masculinely. And there are a lot of flamboyant gay men who dress femininely, but that does not necessarily make them transgender. Yeah. So like, people can present a certain way that may not be congruous with how they were assigned at birth, but they can just do that because of their sexual preference. Now for transgender people like me, it's not about our sexual preference. It's actually, it's deeper than that. It's, um, it's about our gender identity yeah. and fixing that incongruence between our, our brain and our body. So yeah. that's, that's some of the basics, I suppose, because, I had a very well-meaning and a lovely lady ask me a lot of questions um, about my transition because she was interested in learning more. And about half half an hour into our conversation, I said that I I'd, I offhandedly mentioned that I didn't transition because of who I was attracted to. Mm. And she said, oh, really? Interesting. Aww. And I realised at that point that throughout all we'd been talking, she still had this idea in her mind that it was linked to who I was attracted to. So I... I I never want to assume how much people know because yeah. yeah. if you haven't transitioned or you don't know transgender people, it can, it, I, I, I sometimes assume that people know more than they do, that people have done as much research as I have. Mm. Um, and I think that that's, that's a mistake. So there you have it. Uh, gender and sexuality, they are separate. Yeah. Um, and mm. transgender people do not transition because of who they're attracted to. Mm. And what um, do you think about the difference between transgender and the term transsexual? Because yeah. I know that's maybe more historical. I'm not really sure. Yeah. So, um, so transsexual is an older term that I think mm. was originally coined by Magnus Hirschfeld in Germany when he ran his Institute of Sexology to study gay, lesbian and transsexual people. Mm -hmm. So um, fascinating history there. Too, by the way, but we don't have to get into that now. Um, <laughs> so transsexual is a term that is used to describe someone who experiences a persistent need to transition into the opposite sex, or I, I think that's the commonly accepted um, definition, but more broadly, it's someone who feels compelled to alter their external gender through medical treatments and, um, and um, changing of clothing in the social role. So, um, I think part of the reason that it's fallen out of favor is because um, it's not necessarily inclusive of non-binary people. I'll explain what that is too. Mm. Um, and also because it, it's linguistically confusing to people 
because you have homosexual and you have bisexual and you have heterosexual. Yeah. And even though transsexual means to transition into the opposite sex, I think what people hear is that it's a sexuality. Mm. So I, I think that's part of the, the linguistic confusion is part of the reason it's fallen out of favor. Yeah. Um, but the transgender community, transgender means someone who uh, identifies as a gender that they were not assigned at birth, basically. So it's a lot more mm. broad. Um, and it includes binary people like me. So I'm a transgender man. I was assigned female at birth and I transitioned into male. Mm-hmm. And another kind of binary transgender person is a transgender woman. So a woman who was assigned male at birth, but transitioned into female. Yeah. And then in the transgender community, you have non-binary people. So a non-binary individual is someone who does not identify as their gender assigned at birth, but also feels they are outside of the boxes of male and female. And uh, it's a very inclusive space in that sense. And I think that's part of the reason that the term is a lot more popular, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for um, Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think part of, some people can be really confused when they hear about non-binary individuals. And I understand that it's, it's hard to explain, but the fact of the matter is that some people just genuinely do not feel either male or female. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's something that's been around for a very, very long time. So it's, it can take some work to familiarize yourself with and to get, comfortable with that idea because I think that can really shake people's foundations to understand that um, there are individuals that exist that don't fit into their idea of how the world works. I think it can be quite confronting. Um, But it's, I mean, I know quite a few non-binary people and I, it's it's amazing how normal everyone is. It's not, um, it's not really that big a deal. (laughs) Um, But also, uh, you know, I was also going to say that um, aspects of transitioning as well, if we want to get into what that's basically about. Yeah. So what, yeah. what makes up a, a transition for, for you in particular? Yeah. Well, for me in particular, I have socially affirmed my identity. So I've alleviated social dysphoria of <laughs> being referred to as a female. That was um, very, very uncomfortable. Mm. I've gotten rid of that uh, mm-hmm. joyful experience. Um, so there's social transitioning, which means I want you to refer to me a different way. I, a lot of people change their name. I, I don't know. I think I know a, a couple of people who had androgynous names to begin with and never changed them. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone does change their name, but um, I did. Yeah. And uh, an important part of social transitioning for a lot of people is that they have left their old name behind. I don't know many transgender people who are comfortable mentioning their old name. And a lot of people refer, uh, refer to their old names as their dead names. Mm. So it's, it's been left behind. It's dead. Please don't say it again. Yeah. And the experience of gender dysphoria that I mentioned previously, where I had been sitting, having lunch with my friends and someone called me she, and I just completely, Mm. I, I, I had that flush of panic and I disassociated a lot of the time being misgendered or you know called she in my case or having my old name said to me that causes a similar response which is very different and uh pardon is very difficult in a healthcare setting when you don't have access for whatever reason to the ability to change your name yeah because people are calling you that and mm-hmm. having a preferred name down in a healthcare system doesn't always help yeah because uh yeah but 
So the social part of it is someone may change how they dress, how they wish to be addressed, how they... <laughs> that was a bad way of putting no, it. No. People, people, <laughs> may, people will prefer perhaps to present a different way or to be referred to differently. Mm. Now, is- it's not... Hmm? Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask how you navigated that yourself with like your friends and your family and the people that you were around. Oh, it was rough. Um, oh. It was very rough. It was not a fun time. I tell you what, um, the, I reckon, you know, the social transitioning was um, utterly miserable. It was, it was not good. Um, and part of the frustration is that systems mm. just don't, systems are just not made for a gender transition. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. And I was going around as like, I think some forms would be sent to me with like Ms in front of like a male name. And I was getting, it, it's just, it's a very weird and humiliating and awkward phase of life mm. because you're kind of straddling these two realities of your assigned gender at birth and what gender you want to live as. And it's, um, it's not great. It's not mm. great. I had a lot of people in my life refuse to call me what I wanted to be called. I lost a very good friend because she just refused to use my new name. And she said, no, I'm not going to view you a different way. I, I, I refuse. And um, I did lose her. Mm. But, you know, that's probably for the best. Yeah. yeah um, but, you know, I my strongest supporter is a um, cisgender person and cisgender meaning not transgender, basically. Mm. That's just what that term means. Um, so a, a lot of people did support me and a lot mm. of people were uh, very kind, but and I, I, before I move on to the medical side of transitioning, I'll just explain cisgender as well. Mm. So cisgender is just a term that means not transgender. Yeah. Um, and most people statistically are cisgender. Most people in the human race are cisgender. Mm. Um, but cisgender people don't necessarily actively identify as cisgender. You know, if a woman is born a woman, if she stays identifying as a woman, she just is a woman, she's not going to go on a journey to identify as cisgender. It's just a, a late, it's, it's, it's a categorical label to avoid sentences like, transgender people and normal people yeah do you know what i mean yeah because yeah. like yeah. normally no, normal is we are transgender people are not statistically an average we are not the average in society mm. but hearing that we're abnormal mm. or that we are not not it, it's yeah. kind of a microaggression that's really yeah. unhelpful yeah. so there's so many it, values and connotations yeah. attached to that word yeah but it's also like you know it, it, it it's also valuable in, in a medical setting because if you're talking about how you're going to treat a male body mm. you're probably talking about a cisgender male body and you're probably not talking about my body mm. so it's, I've had some awkward interactions with doctors where they try to delineate between me and cisgender men and the kinds of phrasing that they will use is very, uh, very uncomfortable for me. So I'll, my doctor might say, you know, normal men, they get their mm. prostates checked at this age. And I'm like, cisgender men, I'm yeah. also very normal. I'm quite boring. <laughs> but like, it's, You're not an alien, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a way. It's a way for everyone, but healthcare professionals mm. to 
I guess to not kind of say you're not normal. Yeah. Um, hello, nice to meet you. You're not normal, huh? Like the rest yeah. of us. It's, it's um, yeah. saying that, uh, uh, referring to a cisgender, you know, in particular, if you're talking about a standard of something, mm. you know, um, cisgender men go through these, you know, health progressions of life or cisgender women do this. So it's like, it, it's yeah. basically a, a categorization. Mm. Um, but that's a good practical skill. I think that would be a good takeaway. practical skill. And it's one that takes time to learn, mm. um, which is fine. But I, as long as you're trying to, as long as you're not deliberately trying to be offensive, I yeah. think, um, I think a lot of transgender people are willing to, you know, work with you to help you, mm. I guess, figure things out. But, um, back to what we were talking about before again apologies for the tangent no, um, don't apologize yeah the, the medical side of transitioning um is often inaccessible to a lot of people mm. um and it's also inaccessible for bureaucratic reasons um so you know when someone transitions they may say these pronouns feel more comfortable you know for me it was he him uh, for a transgender woman, it's likely she, her. A, yeah. a lot of non-binary people use they, them, mm-hmm. singular they, them pronouns, which are grammatically correct um, and surprisingly easy to use once you get used to them. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of people need to medically transition, um, but they can't. Mm. So a lot of um, the people who are assigned female at birth, like myself, have mastectomies. Um, so we have our chests flattened through surgery, which is mm-hmm. a procedure that I had done. Mm-hmm. And that set me back, I believe, $14,000, wow. honestly. Yeah. And, and you were before, quite young at the time, right? Well, yeah. I'm, so that's I'm, a big... I'm yeah, I'm 23 now, and I had it done on the, I feel like, the 20th of March this year. Yeah. Um, and I had considered, I don't have private health insurance. I had considered getting it, but I wasn't prepared to wait any longer. I was in mm-hmm. a real state of distress yeah. uh, because I was, I was doing what's called biting my chest every yeah. single day, mm-hmm. which is where you, you wear something called a binder and you flatten your chest. And I was doing that every single day and it's not comfortable and it's also not safe. Mm. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to afford the surgery, but, um, and that, A, that's something a lot of people can't do. Mm. And I was lucky enough to live in a city where there was a surgeon who could operate on me. That's another thing a lot of people can't do. Mm. I, um, and I am also a binary male, which meant that the uh, paperwork, the pages upon pages of paperwork that I had to fill out in order to have on record that I uh, was worthy of this surgery um, were not as uncomfortable as they would have been if I was non-binary. So yeah. a lot of the a lot of the paperwork is kind of um, you have to attend therapy sessions and you have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria by a therapist, and you also have to fill out paperwork that kind of dissects and chops and screws your desire to get surgery and where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the questions are very. Uh, very uncomfortable like they list um terms for genitals and things and say how do you feel about this rate this term for a genital on a scale from one to ten and tell us how uncomfortable you are with it it's very um yeah it's very gross and um i didn't even know that existed yeah yeah so it's um it's um it's quite it's quite an uncomfortable experience and it's a tough one because 
I recognize that transitioning is a very, um, it's a very impactful and usually permanent thing. You know, I'm, my voice is never going to be higher than it is. Um, I, mm. I have committed to living this way for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, and I understand that transitioning is a big deal. Um, mm. And I think that people should have the therapeutic tools in order to make the best decision for them. But that doesn't mean that we need to feel like it's kind of, that's kind of the, the term gatekeeper has really heavy connotations throughout the community. But I do think that aspects are kind of kept behind this wall because, you know, if, looking at, I guess those that questionnaire from a non-binary perspective would probably be really terrible. So it'd be like, it'd be like, well, I, I'm, you know, a lot of non-binary people do medically transition and a lot of non-binary people who are assigned female at birth do have gender dysphoria around their chests. So a lot of them will get a mastectomy, but that doesn't mean that they identify as male. You know, they may just be androgynous. Um, and, you know, a lot of the paperwork just doesn't cater for that kind of experience. So mm. it's a very, uh, medically transitioning can be very difficult. Mm. Um, and surgery is only one part of it. You know, I um, also am transitioning hormonally, which means that my vocal cords have thickened and I've essentially undergone a male puberty. Um, but, you know, a, a, a lot of non-binary people do this as well. And a lot of non-binary people alleviate their gender dysphoria by transitioning um, using hormones as well yeah. so I consider it a male puberty because that is how I view it but a lot of non-binary people uh, wouldn't necessarily use the term male puberty yeah. um, so the language is kind of different depending which transgender person you would talk to but yeah so there are there's the social side of transitioning which is how you dress and how people talk and all that and then there's the medical side of transitioning which is surgery and hormones potentially but not everyone actually wants that mm. so it's kind of different for every person and um, what really sucks is that kind of we're kind of mandated to get surgery in certain places um, for example I was born in Queensland and I can now change my legal sex my gender um, because I've had surgery, but if I didn't have thousands of dollars to spare or I couldn't find a way to get surgery, I would be looking the way I am now with a beard and, um, the deep voice and all that. Yeah. And I would still be legally female. Yeah. So like there the are a license lot of and your passport and everything. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about the passport. I think maybe with passport, you can put a different gender on there, but the issue is that when you start to change your gender wherever you're allowed, but not in other areas because you're not allowed because you're not mm. legally that gender. Yeah. You come up with clashes. So certain systems will say, oh, you're female on that one, but you're male on this one. So we're not going to process your payment or whatever. Like no. it's, it's really, really rough. Mm. And uh, no one should be mandated to have surgery in order to qualify. And I, I think that it's very invasive to say you have to want to modify permanently your body how I think you should look. Mm -hmm. how I, you need to be real in the way that the government says in order to look a certain way. And yeah. I, I think that's very invasive. And, you know, in Queensland as well, I'm allowed to say that I'm male now that I've had surgery. But if I were a non-binary person who was assigned female at birth, I couldn't have my gender down as 
as you know x or whatever whatever i choose so there's two options in queensland there's male or female so if you're undergoing a non-binary transition like good luck to you Mm. because you know some non-binary people wouldn't mind having a binary label down because just for functioning in society but it's still you know so many of these um, barriers well yeah and you know it's not there are other worse barriers as well Mm. um i think in europe there's over at least 20 countries in europe and i think some other places as well um, where in order to transition you actually have to be sterilized so the government will actually not allow you to transition um unless you are actually sterilized so forced sterilization is an issue in a lot of places Mm. um not in australia thank goodness but um it is it is a, a huge problem and of course when we had marriage equality in this country we didn't have marriage equality initially because gay and lesbian and bisexual people can marry and all that stuff but when that was actually passed um, in most states transgender people still had forced divorce so if you were married to a person and you transitioned you would be divorced from them you would have to divorce from them in order to change your gender and then you would have to remarry later. Oh my God. So if you were in a couple and you were staying together yeah. throughout your transition, which does happen, hmm. um, the government would actually forcibly divorce you. So that has been fixed now. But when people say we got marriage equality on this date, it's actually not true because we didn't. Um, we got marriage equality for cisgender, LGBT plus people. So. Wow, I did not know that existed at all no yeah which like makes me sad you know yeah it's a problem in a lot of places um you know uh, and um but i was talking about medical transitioning but there you go (laughs) no but that was so important to talk about Um, definitely are especially dates like Mm -hmm. i didn't know because you were born i forgot like it's a very dumb thing of me to do because i knew about like the victorian birth um certificates changing but i assumed it was for anyone who lived in victoria i forgot no no yeah so i lived i live in victoria and i thought i thought that i could change my gender freely through that new rule but they've actually they've kind of locked out anyone who's living here that was born i guess in my example born in queensland so i have to uh I do. I'm lucky because I have actually had surgery, yeah. so I can change my gender under those rules. It still costs a bunch, but um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are all these barriers, you know. And, and I'm talking about this as someone who moved from a rural area to a city. So I actually have access to to so many of these things that a lot of people don't. Um, and my experiences have been abysmal in some respects, but in others, I've been very very lucky and privileged so it's kind of <laughs> you know there are Still a lot of a barriers tough thing. I, yeah yeah I, there are a lot of barriers that i probably won't even you know be able to speak to like um a friend of mine is a wheelchair bound transgender mm. man and he experiences all of these other things you know mm-hmm. it's just about sheer accessibility and how doctors treat him and the fact that he has a chronic illness and how does, you know, if he's in a vulnerable position, are they going to call him she and can he do anything about it? So, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a, there are a lot, there's a lot to talk about because if you are transgender, it kind of, it affects so many other parts of your life purely yeah. through the, the ignorance of others and the fact that the system is not equipped to handle it. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, oh. I'll, let you, I'll let you get a word in edgeways, I promise. I think we're just absorbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Many things I wasn't aware of. Um, I've got one question, but um, yeah. if it makes you uncomfortable, Phil, is just don't worry about it. When you had to pay for the surgery, yeah. did they have any like payment options? Like you could break it up into like installments or did they kind of force you to do? Um, so I didn't discuss that with my surgeon. I believe my surgeon was Andrew Wives. Fantastic, fantastic book. Um, and um, I, I didn't actually discuss that with him. I, I paid it all in one, in one lump sum, I think. I've, I kind of heard a lot of this stuff is grapevine stuff because yeah. it's not really being discussed more broadly, but um, I think in the past he has offered payment plans, but as I kind of understood it, the standard was to just pay it all in one, one lump sum. I got, I got a couple of thousand dollars back from Medicare, but that was, it didn't actually extend to everything. I paid completely out of pocket for one night in the private hospital, mm. which was a wicked crazy amount. Um, yeah. It's good I didn't have complications because then I would have been in trouble. Then I would have had to stay longer. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I be, it kind of depends. If you have, I think Bupa Health Insurance is one of the few that will cover i didn't look too much into it but i think they cover transgender surgeries but a lot of them will say oh no it's cosmetic um mm -hmm. so we're not going to cover it so that's mm -hmm. why i was kind of just exhausted by that point and i needed this done and i thought i can't yeah. i can't wait any longer otherwise i'm gonna you know that here's the trigger warning otherwise i'm gonna top myself like i don't i cannot wait another single day so um yeah it's good <laughs> Uh, that's sort of where the situation was at. <laughs> and how are you feeling now, like with everything? Oh, it's kind of amazing. Um, there's a, a feeling after surgery, or at least there was for me, and I know other people have experienced this, where mm. it feels so innately right that mm. it's almost anticlimactic because it feels so right and so normal that it's like you've always been this way. Yeah. It's kind of like, the word that came to mind was almost boring. Like, <laughs> no, for real, I got surgery. The healing sucked, but once mm. the drains came out, it was a lot better. Um, and then I was just sort of like, well, now I'm, I don't know, like now I'm me. Like, I, it, I feel like I've always been this way. Like, I took a yeah. photo of my chest beforehand and I, I, I looked at it and I thought, like, I don't, it doesn't even compute in my mind. Like, I, that isn't me. Like, that wasn't me. And I think that just speaks to how intense the the misalignment was there now that it's remedied. I mean, it's it's kind of strange. It's kind of strange how, how intense that was because I, I guess what makes it strange is I don't actually understand how I move through the world another way. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I think um, your story is like so far from boring, by the way. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. That's, that's the weird part about it is that, I don't know, right? I'm, pr I'm, I'm pretty boring. I'm not, I don't know. I don't do many cool things, but I guess I just have this sort of medical history that makes me interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's been very, 
I don't know. It's just sort of chill. I don't, uh, some people do, it does take time to adjust. It depends what procedure you have mm. and how well your recovery goes. And it, not everyone has exactly the same experiences. Um, and so uh, for a lot of people, they do take time to adjust. It took me, I think at one point in my recovery, I was kind of freaking out a bit, but it's only because your body has been altered in a surgical way a quite intense way and your brain goes oh uh, no so your brain can really just totally freak out and go oh there's been a huge change we're injured we're injured so like mm-hmm. yeah it can be and and you know if, if people have medical trauma or they have a history of you know pretty uh, any kind of trauma could actually impact it i think mm-hmm. that you do it's really important that you're seeing a therapist or you're, you're supported that you so you can untangle um those sensations because i think um it's a huge thing you know like uh, as good as it can be it is a huge thing so i think it's it's um we do need a lot of support in that time which again comes down to the healthcare system and yada 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 (laughs) and so you mentioned that your therapist has helped you a lot how Mm. how's that experience been for you i know that you've mentioned some horror stories in the past Yeah, I had a I had an interesting one to start with. Um, but my current therapist is amazing. Um, he mm. he's very non-judgmental, and he has handled patients like me before. And he has also he was the one that provided me with a letter of recognition of gender dysphoria and um, letter to have surgery, yeah. uh, uh, which I was very thankful for. Um, but I had been seeing him prior to needing that letter, which meant he was already familiar with me. A lot of transgender people don't have experiences that are that great in that respect. Mm. I, I've talked to some transgender people who had to see a psychiatrist in order to get surgery and they were they felt very angry when they, they had certain experiences and they felt very violated, but they thought, like, this is the only way for me to have surgery. Yeah. I like just I have, have to do it. it. Yeah, I just have to do this. I have to let this person speak to me this way and ask me these questions. And I just have to let them do it and get through this. So I think um, there's a, some professionals make us feel like we're science experiments or that we're very, we're strange. And I think some sessions with therapists can feel like you're just being observed, like they're on an info gathering mission. They're not actually treating you. They're, satisfying their curiosity and I, I had a therapist like that and she this was you know this was before she compared being lgbt to being a pedophile that oh was kind of the gosh. end of our relationship mm-hmm. um but even before that you know she asked me just questions that were not relevant to my in that at that point in conversation were not relevant to how i was going she you know she asked me like what toilet do you use but she didn't ask because she wanted to know how i was handling that social situation she asked because she was fascinated mm-hmm. you know it was just a very gross i, I kind of felt icky i left the mm-hmm. i left the sessions feeling like i was putting on a show um mm-hmm. which i think a, a lot of us can feel that way yeah and transgender men have a struggle there too where a lot of people hear transgender and they think transgender woman Mm. they think someone who has transitioned from male to female yeah and i have met more than one transgender man who uh has people have assumed that he is transitioning male to female 
Mm. And he'll say, no, I, I was assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm. And that confusion is one thing when it's coming from just, you know, another average Joe Blow on the street. But when it's mm-hmm. coming from a healthcare professional, yeah, I mean, how lost do you feel when yeah. someone doesn't even know what transgender man means? Yeah. So it's, and, you know, it's... Um, and you <laughs> yeah definitely pretty bad but you mentioned that a lot of the time there is the assumption that transgender is just purely transgender woman yeah and what are some of the unique experiences for you as a specifically a, a transgender man yeah um i mean uh, probably the the thing to know most is the every single person is going to have different experiences. Mm. Um, you know, a, a lot of transgender men have experiences that I've never had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what no, no two people are the same, but yeah. transgender men, we do suffer from, we do suffer from an invisibility mm. and I, I can pinpoint exactly where it comes from. And it's because society has a fascination with transgender women mm. and transgender women have been analyzed more that the spotlight is on transgender women a lot more and, you know, they've been fetishized a lot more in, you know, film and, and TV. And there's this really gross idea of like the cross-dressing man and people think that's what transgender women are. Mm. And it's because of, because that spotlight's on transgender women, which don't get me wrong, it's a harmful spotlight. It also has the double impact of transgender men being silenced and transgender men not being given a voice. And it's, um, I also think because of the expectations on someone who's assigned male at birth, you know, as someone who is assigned male at birth or who starts life out as a boy, if that's the kind of language um, that people understand, you can't often, if that's your lot in life, you can't go around in a dress and have that be just an average thing. Now I transition even before i knew i was trans i was wearing male clothes publicly and no one commented on it so i think it can be easier for transgender men to kind of disappear into the background a bit because um it it can be easier for us to pass i suppose so to be recognized as male in society in a more easeful way whereas a lot of transgender women have to explore their femininity and clothing in private because in public they'll be you know harassed and assaulted and that does happen to transgender men too um we certainly don't have an easy time of it but it it is it is different um but yeah we have reached a point where there is there is this sort of persistent invisibility and i think another part of it is that a lot of people, when I tell them I'm transgender, they'll say, oh, I didn't know or I never would have known and I'm so shocked and I had no idea and it's mm. because I have facial hair and, you know, all this stuff. And But a lot of people are still under the impression that you can always tell when someone's transgender and you can't. And a lot of the time with transgender men, folks will just not believe you. that It's this weird thing where they'll say, well, no, I mean, you just look like a man, so clearly clearly you didn't begin life as a female it's impossible so it's it's a strange kind of thing that we experience um but you know it's also very difficult because people assume that we always have that privilege of being recognized as male but we actually don't um you know until i started to pass as a male i was kind of tried as a woman in society you know i was seen as a masculine woman and that earned me 
a lot of scorn and uh, God, the looks I used to get, the looks I still get actually when I go back to my hometown are just terrible. Um, so I, if a man, if a transgender man doesn't pass as male or isn't recognized as male, then he will be facing a lot of misogyny and sexualized violence, which uh, happens to quite a few of us. Um, and I, I don't know actually what we were talking about before this, but just <laughs> 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 uh, went deep on this tangent. Mm. But yeah, I think um, a lot of a lot of transgender men struggle because we are a lot more invisible than transgender women, and mm. transgender women struggle because of hyper visibility that mm. they suffer from. I'm going to say, mm. um, and uh, you know, it extends to masculine non-binary people who were assigned female at birth. A lot of masculine non-binary people or androgynous non-binary people will struggle because there is an expectation of you should be trying to pass as a man or, you know, or I'm not going to refer to you as, you know, them or they, you know, there's an expectation of a masculine presentation that a lot of um, AFAB non-binary people don't fit into. Mm-hmm. So I think we all struggle in different ways. We all struggle in our own way but yeah. um there there are specific struggles when it comes to being a transgender man yeah mm. you'll have to edit that down for no <laughs> i make it pithy <laughs> yeah um so mm. uh, did we want to talk about anything in particular before i sort of talk about um um what do you want me to talk about next we can edit this part out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we can cut that back there. We might cut, but um, the other bit's great. Maybe um, just now we can head into um, more for our, our medical students and your experiences in healthcare mm. and, and what you would love to see in yeah, your future yeah. doctors. Your ideal medical yeah. interaction. Mm. All right. Um, I think um, there is there should be an emphasis on treating transgender people well and making an effort to understand us. Mm. And I, I think that's something that's lacking a lot of the time now because the onus shouldn't be on us as patients to be providing education to a healthcare practitioner mm. when we are in a state of distress or need. And that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of us do encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that it can be difficult to figure out transgender people if you're not familiar with us but if you are responsible for providing a person with care in a medical setting you could be deliberately causing them to experience traumatic gender dysphoria and putting them in this position of having to answer questions that aren't necessarily relevant you know i it's been amazing the kind of settings i've been in where people have asked me also what surgeries have you had and stuff and it's not relevant it's absolutely not relevant and um misgendering a transgender individual can cause serious distress and even self-harm and you know if a person feels trapped in an environment they are unfamiliar with where their existence is disregarded as frivolous or not important Mm. at best they might be motivated to never seek medical care again or at worst they may kill themselves upon being discharged and there is a 49 according to the trans pathway survey there's a 49 percent suicide attempt rate before the age of 25 Mm. so pretty much every second friend that i have 
Um, and that's a conservative estimate, but every second friend that I have has attempted suicide at some point. Um, so like, this is a pretty serious matter and respecting transgender people is not really something to joke about. Like, um, mm. we deserve just as much respect as anyone else. And just because maybe you need to make a little bit more effort to understand us than you would someone else, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Mm. Um, because you know, the outcomes are so dire. They are so dire, but also, um, another thing that I struggle with is I, I almost don't like telling these dramatic, horrible stories and saying you should treat us well because this horrendous stuff. Mm. I almost want to say like, please just treat us well. We're yeah. people. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to put my, uh, yeah. I don't really, I don't always want to mm. have to be in, you mm -hmm. know, a dire situation mm -hmm. in order to receive respect. Mm -hmm. And um, that is something that really frustrates me is mm -hmm. that uh, it, it's more than once that I've only been taken seriously when I've um, been in real, real distress. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the time I should have been taken seriously, you know, just generally. Mm -hmm. um, and another, another difficult thing is that, you know, a GP should be the first, first contact. Mm -hmm. like, uh, first I went I went to my GP um, before I was referred on to a good therapist. I went on to my <laughs> GP before I, you know, sought hormone therapy and I was referred on to my surgeon by then. So, but if your GP isn't going to treat you well and your GP isn't going to be safe, then mm. you're not going to go see them. Mm. And if you're experiencing, if you're in physical pain or something's happened or you've been injured, I know a lot of transgender people who will not seek help and who will not, they do not want to be taken away in an ambulance. They do not want to be under the care of nurses that they can't trust. Mm. And, you know, they, it's really tough for transgender men because due to our biology, a lot of us still need to um, be cared for in very specific settings. And having attended the Royal Women's Hospital myself in an emergency, mm. Um, it's a very, very uncomfortable experience and it's very just for her inducing. And I had a, a good experience there, mm. um, thankfully, but um, <laughs> it, it's still very, very upsetting. And I, I think in a lot of places, um, there, there, there is an expectation by transgender people that if they do seek help, if they do seek treatment, that they will be harmed in some way. Mm -hmm. whether that's psychologically or physically. And there was a case of a transgender man, a transgender man actually being threatened with an ax in an Australian hospital by another patient. And the patient who was attacking him, I think he was like briefly reprimanded, but aside from that, um, received no punishment. So, uh, you know, we are oh mm -hmm. psychologically harassed, mm -hmm. and, but we can also be physically threatened. Mm -hmm. And I think, the sort of the seriousness of transphobia in Australia is kind of um, isn't really appreciated as much. You know, people think that LGBT rights stops with the L and the G and the B and those communities don't have it perfect. I'm definitely not saying that they do, but I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done for transgender people that is just totally ignored or like not known about. Um, and we are a small segment of the population, but 
uh, I feel like people do need to take notice because um, well, we do matter and we do deserve comfort mm -hmm. and we do not have all of our rights in this country, mm -hmm. actually. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, and if we can't even access, you know, um, healthcare, which is a human right, it's kind of, um, where does that leave us? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, it's pretty And you're a person, just yeah. a normal human being who, yeah. Oh, and, and I think a, what a lot of people feel, and this is um, something that I sort of gathered from the people that I've told about this podcast, they've mm. sort of told me, you know, Rose, like I actually really want to learn how to better care for my transgender patients, but I just don't know how. And I'm scared mm. that I will hurt someone or I'm scared mm. that I will be offensive or be rude. Mm. Um and so I think people instead just don't do anything. Yeah. yeah. Instead, which which um, frustrates me. Which frustrates me because we're we're in such an interconnected world at this point, and the amount of resources that are online about how to respect your transgender patients. Um, I'm not. The excuse is wearing thin for me at the moment that there there's simply no way for them to figure out how to treat us well. But at the same time, I. I do think that reading things behind a screen is not necessarily going to illuminate much if mm. you're working from a foundation where you really do not know anything. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of trans advocacy groups that people could be reaching out to. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of people who are being open and vocal and there's a lot of YouTube videos where people are mm. discussing things with, you know, healthcare experts and things like that. But I think there's, there's a whole world of information out there. And um, there are a lot of people who are allowing their voices to be heard. Mm. So if, if the effort is made, um, transgender patients can be respected in this country, but the effort does have to be made. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a tough one for me because I'm reaching the point in my life where I kind of just want to uh, just be a normal man and just disappear mm -hmm. and into this idea of what I think normal is. But if I do that, and I can't be an advocate and I can't help change things. And obviously, you know, I'm not obligated to be an activist, but I feel like I have to be because yeah. someone, be, someone has to be speaking up and someone has to be kind of crossing this boundary. Otherwise, things are just going to continue to be really, really terrible. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of transgender people who are doing really good work. But um, uh, I, I feel like there's so many of us doing really good work, but I, it does sometimes feel like nobody's listening. <laughs> um, because, I mean, things are changing, things are getting better, but it, they do need to get, you know, even better. <laughs> yeah, because you're sort of putting all the information out there, but is anyone really, you know, picking it up? And that's a big load, I think, a, a burden that yeah. you have to carry. I mean, and yeah, I mean, I, and like I said, I'm in a very um, privileged position in life because I was able to transition as fast as I did. And mm. I did have access to a lot of things that a lot of people don't. So mm. I, I kind of consider it pretty important that I do speak up um, because I can, and, you know, I'm, I'm not homeless. Mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm also, you know, I'm a white guy. I'm not, you know, an indigenous brother boy, which is mm. a, um, a transgender male in Australia. That's the Aboriginal community. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not also experiencing that. Uh, I'm not also experiencing discrimination because I'm a cultural minority. Mm -hmm. So I can do a lot of the work that some other folks just don't have 
they're, they're so exhausted fighting a lot of other battles. Mm-hmm. I, at least I can fight this one, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, I think what a lot of, uh, a lot of um, healthcare workers don't realise is that we, we have these specific needs and we, we do have some medical needs, you know, whether we're hormonally transitioning, that changes a lot. We're going to need blood tests pretty often. We, yeah. you know, maybe we've had surgery, you know, um, like, but we're not, um, it's far less dramatic, I think, than a lot of trans, uh, a lot of um, healthcare workers uh, think mm. um, we're, we're, we're pretty average folks. We're not, we're not, when it's not, like you're treating an alien it's just um it's just a little bit different and you know the same goes for a person with um you know intersex traits or things like that you know we're just um we might have different needs but you you can actually ask us about our needs in a way that isn't just um that that uh, you don't want to leave a patient with the feeling that they are sort of this i did this um fixture of interest and fascination and curiosity you, you want to leave a patient with the feeling that their doctor is trying to understand their needs for the purposes of treating them just optimally as a patient you don't want to leave a patient with a feeling that they are an object of that like like there's something to be you know like scared. a sideshow yeah exactly spectacle that, that's how i have felt in the past and it's not great mm. and i think that if healthcare professionals do want to learn, they should they should kind of take care to understand that um, a transgender patient is not seeing you because the transgender patient wants to serve at your behest and teach you mm-hmm. things. The transgender yeah. patient is seeing you because they need something and they need help mm-hmm. and they need you know your medical insight. So mm-hmm. to serve them best, I think there are a lot of avenues that um, healthcare providers can explore. Mm. Do you think? Sorry, Rose. No, no, Pete, you go ahead. Do you think this kind of like otherness that doctors may do is to do with like the dramatization of like transgender individuals in the media? So, I think like, that's um, yeah. I think that's part of it. Like this, um, for example. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it, and I, I think it's also a social thing, and I think on a, a human level a lot of healthcare workers don't understand us but also on a medical level there's way less excuse me there's way less training to help them actually navigate what we need and how we should best be treated and i think that's something a lot of healthcare workers struggle with is i need to treat this person because they're my patient but i've never been taught how to and i think part of that that comes down to the educators of healthcare workers and that's 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 a crucial thing but also on a human level, and I can speak to the human level because I'm, you know, I'm a lay person, but um, on a human level, what I would like from healthcare workers is to realise that, you know, we do deserve compassion. We do deserve to be comfortable. And we're not, um, not everyone is going to be, not everyone is going to want to answer questions about, so what is transgender anyway? Because that's, that's not also not a grammatically correct way to ask that question, but it's also like I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be answering that question if I'm here because my knee's acting out. It's yeah. not. Don't ask me that. <laughs> you know, um, ask the internet that. Ask Google. Basically, transgender <laughs> people are not Google. <laughs> but it you know it is it is appropriate to say 
Um, if you lay it out on the table and you say, I've never had a patient like you, but I don't, I don't want to upset you and I want to treat you properly and I want you to tell me how to do that. It is okay to say, how should I refer to you? Is the paperwork all correct? Is there something on here that's not right? How did the receptionist treat you? And like, what do you want out of this session? You know, mm. that's really important. Um, so it's, 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 there is, it, it, you are able to ask questions without being offensive. I understand the fear. But um, if you just keep in mind that we are asked these questions so often and mm. we, we, we probably don't want to uh, get into it too much if we don't have to mm. every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever felt like um, you've maybe corrected a doctor or a healthcare worker and they haven't been receptive to that? Or um, have you found that most people are willing to say, oh, sorry, I messed up? Yeah. Um, I, I have felt that, yes. Uh, I absolutely have felt that. But probably not as much as other people may have because, mm. once again, due to my social context i'm you know i'm in i'm in the city so i think i'm uh, some a lot of people here I'm, i've met a lot of health practitioners that just straight up didn't know um but a lot of them were at least willing to call me him um but of course you know i, I am a binary man and you know a lot of non-binary people have it much more difficult if they do go by they them pronouns mm. so there's an added level of struggle there that i didn't really experience mm. um so it's uh i have experienced that yeah mm. not as often as i could have yeah and i think like sort of touching on the education aspect um i i think really in our year level um because mm. i can only speak to my own experience mm. um we've had the option of attending a seminar and i think the seminar was you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, by Dr. Asiel Sanchez, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Yeah. yeah. But that was... Um, that was that overarching. Was a, that wasn't a Melbourne initiative. That was a... Um, Dr. Asiel did it um, themselves. I think mm -hmm. they chose to like, put it out there rather than... Them. Yeah. I think yeah. there is quite a big gap in our education and really in general, we don't receive any education at all, I would say, about gender or even things like um, sex ed, which is what my yeah. group is more based upon. Um, there's just a huge yeah. empty hole yeah. in and, our um, curriculum. You know, there was a, there was a study by uh, Trans Health Research that revealed that um, uh medical students uh 1.4 percent of them had training in trans medicine and mm -hmm. um i think it was under 30 percent of endocrinologists had training in trans medicine mm -hmm. so if someone if you know if i'm transitioning hormonally as i am it's kind of uh because of my area i know where to find an endocrinologist that specializes mm -hmm. in transgender healthcare. Mm -hmm. but if i was in a rural area there's a, there's no guarantee and and there's there's no guarantee that I would actually be able to be treated properly. And yeah, when it comes to sex ed, I think it's very important that there's there's a lot of things about if I think back to my sex ed, it was terrible, but there's a lot of things that need to be improved about it. And but 
I'm aware that bringing up transgender identities, it can be difficult, particularly mm -hmm. among students who, you know, could be confused by that. But mm -hmm. I think there's a way to do it. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, we're, it's speaking about us as sort of an exception could be good. You know, we're, we're not a statistical average. So if we say to students, like some people do go through this and maybe you'll see this in some of your peers, but maybe you won't, it mm. would give students the ability to um, be kinder, I think, to any of their peers who may be like this, because I know I have cut contact with most of the people I went to high school with mm. because a lot of them are extremely bigoted towards me and I would not be mm. safe around them. And part of that comes back to the education we received mm. and the education we received mandated that we were all straight and we were all cisgender mm. and we would all want to have sex in the way that, you know, is, I don't know, uh, after mm -hmm. marriage vanilla, <laughs> vanilla missionary yeah. type stuff like and it was mainly it, it almost seemed like the only thing that were actually interested in teaching us was how to prevent um sexually transmitted infections in heterosexual cisgender sex that was pretty much the only thing they seemed interested in teaching us and they didn't teach us you know how to make dental dams mm -hmm. if you're having sex with someone who has that anatomy they didn't teach us about you know, same gender attraction, you know, they, they didn't teach us about any of that. And I, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that area, but you, you can probably speak to that a bit more than I can because you're actually working in that. No, no, no. Because I think what made me want to join this group was the fact that even my school, I was very, very privileged. I went mm. to a school that had, I would say a lot of money to mm. fork out on these additional things. Um, and even then, we had, I think, one slide mm -hmm. about different gender identities and different sexualities. Oh, you got one, eh? I know, I so already <laughs> I was lucky in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we came to medical school, we said, oh, okay, that just doesn't really exist. You're not going to talk about it. Yeah. And it's such a shame um, because when you're a teenager, you don't want to be finding this stuff out on the internet. Um, actually, I think the internet is often a much better resource than what we are given in schools and, you know, in our medical school even. Um, well, it's rough. It's rough because um, I, I believe that there should be more of a, a standard curriculum for these things because I the agree. internet can be very good, but it can also be very, very bad. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. There are whole websites sort of devoted to... Uh, chronicling and criticizing the transgender menace um, mm -hmm. that I think would definitely be unhelpful. Um, and there are a lot of communities out there that sort of view us as a threat, which is why it would be nice to have transgender experiences and non-binary experiences normalized in the clinical and educational setting, mm -hmm. because um, where, you know, it'll give more people the ability to understand what either they are going through or what others are going through. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people do question their gender identity and not all of them turn out to be transgender. They might just be gender non-conforming. They might just like to wear different clothes than maybe their peers do. Um, but if someone is questioning their gender identity, whether they turn out to be trans or not, um, that should be, they should be in a supportive environment where they can explore that. Because it's a big question to be asking yourself. And if, if at an educational level where 
we can more understand that, then I think a lot of people will be helped. Definitely. And I think it needs to be more than just um, at medical school level. Like mm. That's so far down the line already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate the argument with like, oh, the new generation will, um, they'll be better. But like, even just the people that went to like Dr. Zales talk, it's like, these are some people who will actively seek that kind of information out anyway. Yeah. And they're yeah. not the people you want um, they're not the people you want to train to be better because they're actively already yeah. searching to be better. And there's so many, there's doctors who retire in their eighties and like, we need to make sure that across the board, mm -hmm. start to finish, it needs to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think it's rough because when we start talking about these things, there's so much work that needs to be done in all facets of, everything you know education and i don't know like sporting clubs how we're treated in sporting clubs like all this stuff you know like in schools and all these things and like there's all these because we're considered threatening in certain ways it's kind of hard to talk about it um because yeah there's so much work that needs to be done and um what i guess what a lot of people don't realize is that we all we really want is just to live our lives and we do have to undergo certain medical journeys, a lot of us in order to do that. But um, just because we look different or sound different, it doesn't mean that, you know, we should be treated badly <laughs> or that people shouldn't make an effort to understand us. And so on that note, what would be your main takeaway to anyone who's listening to us today? I, I think the main thing for me is that, um, it making an effort to understand a person on a human level is really valuable mm -hmm. and they there are a lot of there, there are a lot of websites and things out there that will help you to understand the medical side of it but if you have a transgender patient and they say my name is this and my pronouns are this it's it's just a couple of syllables that you can just massage and that's all if that's all you have to do and that is just the basic level of comfort for them just 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 do it <laughs> please um, because we go through a lot and um you don't have to be a part of our negative stories and that is a decision that you can actually make mm. and um just try to be kind on a human level and be honest with your transgender patients if you have any and just say, I, I don't want to upset you and I, I, I may not know everything yet, but I perhaps, you know, I'll do some research and in our next session I will understand more. But don't use that lack of knowledge as an excuse to then say, so tell me about your surgeries and how did your parents take this and all these things that are probably not relevant to have whatever you're treating the patient for. So um, try not to use your patients like Google mm -hmm. and try to be kind, I guess. I think that's such an important takeaway and something that's been a running theme, I think, through <laughs> all of our episodes so far, that just this basic openness and honesty and respect for, mm. you know, human decency um, mm -hmm. on a human person to person level, um, yeah. that I think we should all be striving for as medical professionals. Mm. Um, so thank you so much, Jake, for sharing so much of this with us. 
it's been incredible. It's been very sad and I think very, <laughs> you know, angry at many, at many points, but yeah. we really appreciate your time and, and your openness with us. Yeah, no worries. It's uh, wonderful to, to be involved. No, thank you. And that brings us to the end of the episode. On behalf of MD Queer and Tease the Teacher, we'd like to send another huge thanks to Jake for sitting down and talking to us today. If you've made it to the end, we're happy to announce we've got two episodes being posted today. And the following episode is coming up with Dr. Ada Chung on gender-affirming hormone therapy. So keep listening, and I hope you enjoyed.